welcome to Canine Counselor Inc. podcast. Today we're going to talk about training according to temperament. Uh, Phyllis uses that phrase a lot when she describes her training methods and style, but what exactly does it mean? In this podcast, Phyllis explains how she trained four different dogs with different temperaments as examples of how she tailors her training for each dog. Now let's think of... um... Four different types of owners. Yeah, or maybe three, just to keep the article a little shorter. Right. Well, you have a guy who wants to get a lab, and he wants to raise it as a hunt dog. Yeah. Okay, so we have hunting dog. Also have that dog be be a pet, a family pet. And a family pet, okay. Uh, Kids are teenagers. They've grown up understanding the basics of how we interact with dogs. I would assume this guy would be a little bit of a no-nonsense... Yep, no nonsense. Dog's a dog. Definitely don't want the dog on the furniture and all that kind of stuff. Believes the dog should live inside, and he's going to send the dog to training, and they will follow the protocol. He goes to a breeder that, for generations, his father got dogs from, and now that son has continued on with that pedigree. The dogs come from stable line of dogs. He has the breeder help him choose the right dogs for the family, and it works out great. All the ducks are in a row. Stable pedigree. No nonsense. Dog owner dog according to the dog's temperament and what his expectations in life for the dog are yeah all right so what would be on on clients i've worked with right right just pull that out of a hat right what would be Um, another type of owner let's say yes (laughs) the two rowdies young kids they go out they get the first dog dog's a little soft a little, a little, not shy is a strong word, but dog's a little insecure. They do training right away. Dog's four months old. Actually, younger than that. They call in a trainer when the, when the dog's a puppy. They have a couple bumps along the way because the dog is insecure, but in it, but then they always call for help and they follow through. In the end, they go back to the same breeder. Nice, stable dog. No, not to pick the insecure puppy this time. Right. Even though she didn't develop any problems, it's because they followed through on training at an early age when it was recognized. Right. And they're yeah. also fairly no-nonsense people, although a little more, let's say... They've gotten a little, they got a little soft, but they were giving her too much affection there for a while and it manifested into some anxiety. Yeah. That they're actually still dealing with now. Yeah. However, they, they've got better tools to, to work with it, right? Yeah. And uh, the lady had never had dogs. And she's rocking it, walking both those dogs as a team. Actually, you can ask them for a picture of her walking them, too. I yeah. have some pictures and videos of her. But as people, they're very, um, they're stable. Like, they don't seem to have yes. um, anxiety well, or actually, insecurity themselves. Um. Well, he actually told right? me for the first time, last time I was there, that he grew up in a very abusive home. His mother was extremely abusive. Uh. And that he fights those battles every day. So, I don't know. Nice well-rounded family great kids yeah the kids were very well behaved that is key okay the kids were not they didn't get whiny and upset when they were told you know what we're not curling around on the floor with the dog we're going to play hide and seek instead and we're going to use training to do that right and the kids had a great time doing that yeah so even though those kids were both under 10 years old we had them do other things with the dog yeah you know we used treats for training with the kids and taught them how to wait and make sure she was patient, making eye contact and calm before they rewarded her. And then they turned that into a game of hide and seek later. Yeah. And they still have a great relationship with the dog, no problem. Although with the second puppy, I use no food. 
zero. Only Rico. I take that back. Just for Rico. At a great distance on the farm. I use food. Why didn't you use food with that dog? Too too high prey drive at a young age. Uh. So we had to put a cap on that, you know, which we did. And explain why the food would exacerbate the prey drive. Food can drive dogs into prey drive. It gets them too fixated. If they're too excited and too intense on the food. It's also a form of prey drive. Correct. Yes? Okay. Yes. So what would the third type of client dog be? Let's just say. The little shihu we're getting ready to go see. Yeah. So we have a client who's worried about doing the wrong or the right thing all the time. Yeah. Has a daughter who also is sounding to be needy of the dog. Yeah requiring the dog to be there for them sounding anxious so question do these people should these people get a dog question mark well they're going to get a dog regardless right right so why not help the dog and help the human and make sure they get a dog that's conducive to that right which brings up many people want lap dogs and lap dogs are few and far between most small dogs do not make good lap dogs except for this so we very carefully selected a breeder who breeds shizus that are genetically sound and have the temperament of a ragdoll. Or like the cat, the ragdoll cat. You can turn them inside out, upside down, and they're just going to be going with the flow. Yeah. Um, And that this breeding, you know, generations and generations of sound pedigree. Right. Um, And you've had experience with the breeder before and her dog, so. Correct. And by the way, this is one of the very few breeds I recommend for lap dogs yeah but then you have to be selective about the breeder people are still going to get educated but we are assuming to some extent that they're not going to follow through and that's why you pick the breeder so carefully correct because the dog the dog's stable enough to handle it yeah and the people are going to get what they need out of the dog yeah and they you know to some extent people deserve to have that that's why these dogs were all bred and created right the lab bred be a good hunting dog, a good companion, the Shizu being a companion and a lap dog. Yeah. And the Rottweilers being good family pets. All with proper management. Yeah. The basis of coming from stable disposition, rock solid pedigrees, and good bloodlines that are really, really hard to come by. So yeah, we're a suit, well, in the three examples we picked, all those dogs are fairly stable, so... So now we put these people in another situation. If the Rottweiler people went to a rescue or to a breeder who does not have good sound dogs and decides they want to throw a bunch of backyard bred dogs together, they could have ended up with a disaster. Yeah. Rescue dog with a history of aggression, especially with a Ronnie going into a home with small kids, not the breed of choice. Especially for a novice owner. Right. Right? They just happened to get lucky. And they and they did the right thing. You know, raising a puppy. And not having any clue about what to do. And having unstable temperament, too, would have been a disaster. Yeah. And the lab guy, if he didn't go back to the good pedigree that his father told him about, and he didn't do a lot of research making sure that he got dogs from good, sound temperament, and he just goes out and goes, oh, lab's for sale. And right. he buys a lab, but then he takes it out, and guess what? It's noise sensitive. Right. Afraid of gunshots. Now it's really nervous, and it grows up, and it's fearful. 
that's not stable with his teenage kids. A disaster. And the cheesy lady goes out and gets a designer dog. <laughs> like a Morky, which if you read about Wikipedia, Morkies are not good lap dogs. Right. right? We know that now. Um, or worse, people go out and they get little terriers to be lap dogs. Jack Russells and Yorkies. Or King Charles, but you pick from the wrong breeder and you get one that's really anxious, which they can be prone to. Right. So I had this lady just gone the wrong direction and just picked the dog because, hey, King Charles make great lap dogs. They sure do, as long as they're not anxious. Right. Major, major component to a problem. Genetic component. I, I also think this could go on another little direction, but I want to ask you that question later. So explain how you would train these dogs differently, since we're talking about training for temperament. Even though they're all fairly stable, how how would their temperament and also what the family wanted play into how you would train them? Well, the lab is a good example because we don't want to shut down the prey drive in the dog because he's going to use the dog for hunting. But that also has to be managed inside the house if the dog isn't trying to bring the ball to them all day long. Right. So it would be a matter of teaching them to work with that dog in a sense almost like a working dog you know yeah. on, on the street the ball is yours you don't take it out unless you want to play with the dog you're in charge of it you're the keeper of the ball and so it boils down to the dog having high regard for all the family members and being nice and calm in the house yeah and then when you bring them outside and you say hey guess what it's time to go you can bring that prey drive out and you can have the best of both worlds because the dog is stable let's right? say let's just say if the dog was not stable what would you recommend? No, he's gun shy, so he can't use him as a hunting dog. Right. He's noise sensitive. Well, now he's got himself a lifetime commitment to an anxious, fearful dog. Yeah. And he has all these rules and limitations with the dog, and he is not getting what he wants from it. Right. Um, so both parties are in the wrong situation. Yeah. Dog's in the wrong home, people got the wrong dog, and it all boils down to research and genetics right so if he got a dog that was noise sensitive and he wanted it for a hunting dog would you say keep this one as a pet Sorry. and go get another one yeah make this dog a pet and get yourself a, get yourself a second dog when you're ready yeah and that stable second dog might actually help the first dog what would happen I mean, kids are teenagers as long as there's no aggressive threat to the family members there's no reason why a dog can't work out in the household but it'd be one of those where if I'd gotten to him ahead of time, I would have been able to say, hey, all labs aren't the same. Right. What is it exactly you're looking for? So what would happen if you brought out the prey drive in the unstable dog and taught it to hunt, even though it really maybe shouldn't do that? Oh, uh, you would have, you would have a, a handful. The dog would be staring out the windows and running around the house and barking at everything that moved out the windows and taking the wife for a launch to go after a squirrel when she's trying to take the dog for a walk. And the kids are saying it's no fun to take him out because every time we try to go around the block, he's fixated on the bikes and on the cars and on everything that's going by. And the dog's difficult to live with. So how hey, is that... we can that... add a laser pointer to that, too. Right. How is that different with a... So how can you achieve that with a stable dog and not an unstable dog? What's the... I'm just asking for my own curiosity now. How could an unstable, so an unstable dog would not be able to shut that off as easily and understand when it's appropriate Correct. and when it's not? 
Correct. Okay. Just like the fearful dog in the house that's getting coddled and that becomes possessive of the owner. Yeah. It's the same thing with, it's the same thing with this because the dog is just in control right. and not stable. Right. So it's tenfold on the behavior where a stable dog is going to go, oh. Got and it. it's going to have high regard for the owner. Right. So... And getting that high regard is... And it it does have an outlet, which is what a lot of trainers want to say, right? We do want to say, hey, the dog needs that outlet because it's a genetic... This is what they do. They retrieve. So we want to take that dog out and we're going to wear it out on playing ball. You're just energizing that dog. Where with with the working dog, you're going out and you're doing your hunting and you're doing your training. But the dog is going to wait until it's released. It doesn't mean it's not sitting there getting built up and drive. Right. But when at the end of the day, the dog's ready to go home. And the other dog might just keep going and going and going and going and going. And I think the high regard would be harder to achieve in an unstable dog. Well, of course. It would be harder to work, to get that respect. Yes, and, and then you have all the emotions flowing, you know. You have the wife and the kids going, Dad, he's scared of noises. We don't want don't, don't take him out and try to do the gun thing today. Just freak <laughs> him out. And then the wife's coddling the dog. Right. I'm sorry you have to go out with, you know, and listen to all that and you know, feel bad for the dog and the dog is possessive. I mean, I'm just making up stories now, but I mean, it's just what human nature. Yeah. Human nature. They feel bad for the dog. The energy and the emotion in the household is not correct. And then you have the husband who's not happy. Right. He's angry. The dog is not what he wants. Right? And with the stable dog, that wouldn't even begin because he wouldn't have that problem. No, so remember, no one he's would... going to send that dog to training with somebody who knows how to train right. those types of dogs and give them the right structure that they need. Right. And some, some, not all, books that you read from people who raise hunting dogs, they're, they're quite strict dogs. Right. Especially if they're living in the house. Yeah. Okay. Most good breeders of those puppies, too, keep them with their mothers at least until they're eight weeks now, more likely more now, ten. Yeah. Which is what all dogs need. And they don't get it. So, Rottweilers, so you were mentioning that you train them differently. So explain a little bit more about each dog's personality and why you did what you did. So, the first dog was a little bit insecure, but not fearful is a strong word for her. She was just a little bit, a little soft. Right. You know? And so, we used food to build her confidence, but she also had no high prey drive. She could care less about squirrels. She could care less about stuff going by. She didn't care. So I wasn't worried about getting her too fixated and too excited. She wasn't excited for the food. She was happily waiting for it. Attentive. Attentive, not fixated. Um, And it also built the proper relationship with the kids. Yeah. uh, Where the kids were making her do stuff to get her food. However, they weren't putting pressure on her to make her do stuff. Yeah. I did have the parents working with the dog with very little food with, once she understood the right. basis of what these words meant. And it was transitioned. The parents did more of the, you know, making sure she stayed at their side when they were walking and things like that. Why wouldn't you want the kids to use too much pressure with a dog? Well, the dog wouldn't trust them. We had to build trust. Yeah. And they were little. They were little. Yeah, how old? To get bit trying to correct a dog. They were 
There were well, what, we were like, both under 10. I would probably say, if I were to guess, I would say 6 and 8. Okay. Maybe even a little bit younger than that. Because we we did the hide-and-seek thing, and they were small enough to like hide in small places. Right. <laughs> so, you know? And if the dog had too high of a prey drive, we wouldn't have wanted to do the hide-and-seek, because then when the dog found the kids, the dog would have been all all over them. Right. Right? That would have chase been... Chase around, chase around, race around, try to find the kids. Kind of their you prey. Know? Kind of the dog's Correct. prey. Wrong energy. Yeah. So we're not doing that with this dog. But the kids are older now. This is five years later. Right. right? Both the kids are teenagers, so I don't know. we got to figure that out, how old they are. And this time, when I showed up with the new puppy and brought it home, they were sitting at the kitchen counter. One was texting and one was doing homework and barely lifted up their head. And then when it was time to work with the puppy, they were like, okay, cool. What do we do? Nice and calm. No, oh, they remembered what yeah. they were supposed to do. Last dog. Second dog. Only food I used was on recalls at a great distance, and I made her have to find me. So I kind of did a hide-seek in a different way. Yeah. I would have somebody else cut the dog loose, and she would see where I had gone, but she didn't know exactly where I was, which dropped down that fixation and prey drive that would be built up by the food because she also had to use her nose and try to find me. Right. And she had to, you know, use her eyes a little bit too, but not, not in a... It wasn't Dead only. Run, I'm going to land right in front of your feet and get the food. Yeah. You know? And we did only. that initially to get her the idea, but then I started distancing myself and going places where she had to work a little bit to find me, which also means later down the road she didn't want to take her eyes off me because she wanted to lose me. Right. Um, and this typically only works with puppies, you know, young puppies, under six months. Yeah. The puppy, absolutely, if you go hide in the woods, she want to find you. And if it doesn't, find another puppy. Right. <laughs> I'm serious. No, I know. I know. It's funny. That's an old Marguerite no. trick. We used to take the litter of puppies and go hide in the woods. And the ones that didn't try to find us were not dogs that got put in particular programs. Right. Or pet um, homes, I would guess. Like, that's up for another conversation. Okay. Because they were working dogs. Oh, okay. Well, they so weren't going to pet black homes water, anyway. military guard dogs. They were guard dogs. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They don't go to pet homes. Right. Gotcha. So, next, Rottweiler. Oh, also with the Rottweilers, we did not allow the dogs to wrestle and play hard. Right. It was two females. Uh, what we actually noticed is that the puppy took over with the adult dog mm. and was using a little bit of fixation. So to avoid the future of dog fights between the two dogs, right. we immediately allowed the puppy some upper paw over the, over the adult dog. Because we knew it was going to happen anyway. And the older dog was very willing to give in to the puppy and let the puppy be in charge. Because that's who she is. So you didn't mess we with We also the... don't want the puppy to get too ballsy and think that she rules over all dogs, which is where my dogs came in and let her know. Right. But she got worked in training around a lot of adult dogs that were in charge of her. Yeah. Um, so it's not a that she's in charge of the other dog. It's that we calmly allow her to know that she is above her in the pecking order she eats first she goes in and out the doors first the adult the adult dog does or the puppy the puppy the puppy goes first and if the yes man if the bigger dog was getting up in her space we had the humans stop her from doing that to the puppy so the puppy didn't feel like it had to come at her and it's a great relationship now they play really nice together actually there's play bowing and hanging out on beds together and they are coexisting very nicely together now. 
I think most people, well, myself included, would usually make the puppy be last. Of course. That's normal. But if you bring a puppy into a house with an insecure dog, right. and the puppy is stable or stronger than, than you know, strong-tempered, right. you could create a defensive reaction out of the dog who's willing to give this place up to the puppy anyway. Right. Because the people, the people all, all said the same thing. What do you mean? Right. What do you mean the older dog can't be in charge? Like, isn't she going to feel bad? And I said, no, look at her. She's giving it up. She doesn't right. want it. Kind of like when I brought Chardonnay and Annie just gave it up, although Annie still has a certain level of position and probably the end-all, beat-all say-so if she wants. Well, I mean, if you think about kids, I'm sure there are households where you have kids that are a couple years older than each other, but for whatever reason, the younger kid ends up following the older kid. Yeah. It can happen. Yeah. Right? We're not all meant to be alpha. Right. I hate that word. Um, Leaders. You know. We, yeah, yes. On the Shizu. Yeah. We haven't so met the dog yet, but... The yes. How are you going to train the Shizu? Very slowly. With the owners. In bits and pieces. Let's get the most important thing. Housebreaking. And how to properly expose the puppy to life. Yeah. And I use the word expose, not socialize. People hear the word social and they think physical touch. I don't know where that line is crossed. Socialization does not mean physical contact. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean physical contact either. Right. It means that it doesn't have to be. Right. So the dog the initial consult will be making sure the housebreaking is getting under control and making sure they know how to properly expose that dog up until it hits about 16 to 20 weeks. What they should and should not do as far as over-coddling the dog in the house. They right. need to know when to give appropriate affection, that, yes, they do want a lap dog, but this is not the time to be putting the dog on the lap. How do they properly pick the dog up? You know, do they sit on the floor with it? Maybe, maybe not. And then a little bit of outside stuff, getting the puppy used to wearing a leash. Yeah. And the beginning stages of coming when called. So if you think about it, that's like four things. Right. Housebreaking, proper supervision, proper handling, proper care, exposure. Yeah. And with house housebreaking goes crate training. That's kind of a package deal. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's all tied in together. And then, yeah, socialization, teaching the owners. I mean, with a nice puppy, that's about all you have to teach. The one thing with these puppies that can be difficult is crate training. Mm-hmm. That's something that we start with when they, the day they pick the puppy up. Right. So so they'll be they'll be coached on the phone prior to picking the dog up, and then we will see them immediately after for a consult within a couple of days. Bring right. the puppy home. Explain why you don't use the same exact thing or even sometimes remotely well, similar for different dogs. I mean, just imagine if I train the Shizu the way we're going to train the hunting lab. Right. How does that make sense? I mean, the Shizu, they want to fetch a ball. Some of them do typically don't have high prey drive right or shouldn't have high prey drive right. it's a better way to say it right <laughs> yeah on another side of the spectrum let's just say that he didn't get the hunting lab he wanted he ended up with the fearful gun shy dog yeah you can't train old dogs on one method and i don't want to use food with a dog that's nervous insecure 
unstable because I'm rewarding the state of mind from the dog. And I think when sometimes if you say you're not going to use food, people think you're using a lot of corrections. But no. That's not the case. So exp- explain that uh, a little more. Correction. So the Shizu, if we use correction, we will probably use body pressure and we'll be teaching the people energy, like how they feel when they're stopping the puppy from doing something. Sometimes I'll use a light touch with my finger, just a little touch, and I don't mean a jab or a poke. Yeah, it's just like you just... Positive, I call it positive pressure. Yeah. So there's a little bit of pressure, but it's my energy and how I feel when I'm doing it, too. Um, And that's rarely needed on a dog like that, but I don't know, maybe the puppy gets a wild one and thinks she wants to get a little mouthy. You know, it's like, hey, Uh uh-uh, right? Pretty mild. I am using a harness on that puppy initially, too. Something people don't think about. If we think about all the different tools that we use, something that goes around the neck, around the muzzle, around the middle of the back. Dogs, when they're correcting their puppies, use pressure around the muzzle, around the neck, and around the middle of the back. So you can still apply a little bit of pressure to the dog, which is why most puppies freeze up when you put a leash on them, because they're getting pressure and they're being told stop. So they do. So we have to teach that Shizu how to walk on a leash with no pressure. Flexi leash and a harness. Easy walk harness or just any harness? Yes, easy walk. Not no pull harness. That hurts the armpits. Uncomfortable. I'm not familiar with those. And the armpits have arteries. Really makes that uncomfortable. Right. I don't know if I've ever used a no pull harness. I don't know what it even looks like. um, That would not be my choice to put a any kind of halty type collar on a puppy. Right. Lab might might use that. Yeah. Uh, you know, the lab puppy would probably be a good, thank you, Heather, transitional leash tool. Yeah. Which I prefer over, I don't care for gentle leaders. Why would um, you want to use that on that lab, a hunting lab, let's just say, field lab? Because he needs a little, he, he, he needs to understand his position, and he needs a little subduing. And they have a tendency to be a little pushy. Yeah. They can be jumpy, they can want to put their teeth on you and they need to run very quickly it's not acceptable depending on the owners however that also helps calm the dogs especially at the door and in the house and the owner can be nice and calm and patient and taking their time it teaches the owners patience right and sometimes when people have a dog that's a little bit fiery and they kind of want that in their hunting dog they also need to understand when to be calm with the dog because inevitably that's what they need in the house when I could so see tools like that in the house a lot. Yeah. And once the dog understands it, then I'll move to outside and doing walks and stuff with that. Helps keep the dog nice and calm when you have people coming in that door versus using a collar and leash where even if you tell people just to use a little bit of pressure in a leash, they have a tendency to jerk the leash. Mm-hmm. And jerking can energize and you and send the dog leaping and more forward. So that's not something you want to do with that type of dog. Maybe the family, like maybe... I hate to generalize, but then maybe the kids needing the transitional leash and the guy would be like, oh, I don't need that. He listens to me. Right. He can use body pressure. And the dog yeah, because he's just more of a, you know. Right. <laughs> I'm he thinking too like... firm with the leash and collar and give too much pressure with the leash and collar, and therefore that takes away from what the wife and the kids are doing. Nah. So yeah. you only use what the person needs to get the result. Yeah. And people have a tendency to be overbearing 
Yeah. You know, want to shut a behavior down. Which brings up the Rottweiler. Right. She got one good correction. The older from me. one or the puppy? The newer puppy. Okay. Not the older one. Not the one we trained with food. Right. The younger dog. Okay. When on walks, she wanted to fixate and lunge at stuff. She got one good correction for that on setup. Right. She never did it again. Pop and release on a prong collar with tips when she was about, I don't know, four and a half months old, five months old. Mm-hmm. Now she also already understood how to walk on a leash properly and she had had weeks of obedience before that happened right and we set it up and so that's it it's enough this is a dog that would have chased cars bicycles etc for sure yeah uh her owner also had to correct her one time we got her home there was a house next door had squirrels that were racing up and down the tree together and she started to fixate on it i said give her one correction that's all it took didn't look back and at that point, fairly mild. Right. Also, we're dealing with a stable dog. And we had trust and respect and a clear understanding of what was expected before we administered a firm correction. Right. When people hear, like, I don't use food with that puppy, you know, yes, there are some reminders in place of what you want, but there's also a lot of not letting the dog practice bad behavior, but also... You know, just using, uh, like, body pressure and things like you said that aren't necessarily a leash correction, plus praise, right? Yes, let's not forget about the praise, right? Yeah. Good one, Julie. Uh, Thank so you. Praise. How do we praise our dogs, right? <laughs> uh, some people say food. Some people say you got to pet them. Some people say it's where you pet the dog, right? What does that mean? I see people all the time, they go, I love my dog, I'm giving them affection, and they give the dog a good kiss and hug. Yeah, the dog's like, So that's more like a correction. (laughs) (laughs) Only it's coming from a soft energy. Yeah. Which, not to get off on a tangent, can lead to a lot of problems in an insecure dog. But praise can be food. Praise can be release of pressure. Think about that one. Yeah. And praise can be physical or verbal. Yeah. I find that a lot of dogs do quite well with just a tiny bit of verbal and that a lot of dogs take touch the wrong way so they actually think you're being assertive with them when you're trying to reward them so mm-hmm. you have to be careful how you give physical affection so the dog takes it the wrong right way not the wrong way right and food a toy a release of pressure all are forms of reward yeah. So when would you use a toy as a reward? With the lab. And maybe the Shizu. A lot of Shizus <laughs> like to play with a ball. I might even play with a squeaky ball with a with a Shizu. And why oh my god, they're really? Like rag dolls. You gotta you gotta build up a little bit of excitement in them because it's really just not there. Right. And I've... then it lasts for like five minutes. If they're bred correctly. I've used squeaky toys with some rescue dogs that were kind of that kind of wanted to play but were maybe not sure and I don't know it kind of helped build a relationship but they weren't uh, drivey dogs no no the lab I'm going to play with just a regular hard rubber ball I'm not going to use a squeaky toy and I'm certainly not going to use a tennis ball why not a tennis ball a lot of dogs can pop them and break them and they cause impactions and people forget about them and they Uh, leave them out one good solid 
Kong rubber ball right. working dog. So on the Shih Tzu, you would use the squeaky toy because it's totally not an issue with that dog. Like, prey drive will not Correct. be a concern. Well, because we're trying to build up the dog a little bit. Yeah. Make it, make it a little bit excited. Right? Yeah. Because it'll actually be too I'm kind of... a little bit of voice with that, too. Right? You can create excitement <laughs> in dogs as long as you can look at them and say, that's enough, shut it down. And they shut it down immediately. Well, it'll actually be, well, and that's part of why you picked that dog or that breeder, because you know the owners are likely to be squeaky voices, maybe a little excited, and for that dog it's not going to be a detriment. We forgot to talk about obedience. Which dogs do you use obedience with? Uh, So obedience with the Shizu consists of recalls. Don't go out the front door, which obviously we're not starting on the first lesson because we don't want to overwhelm the owner, but the dog does need to know not to cross the threshold. Is that stay? It is a natural stay, if you want to call it that. I don't go stay and put my hand in front of the dog's face and go stay. Give the dog treats at the end of the stay. I don't do that. The dog does not cross the threshold. Right. If you cross that threshold without me, bad things will happen. <laughs> Meaning if the puppy gets out and runs off into the street, it's going to get hurt. So right. we need to be helping the dog understand that you don't walk across the threshold. So we teach the dog boundaries. Follow me. Don't go in front of me. And don't walk out unless you're invited. Coming when called. Some tricks to get some focus, which makes the little girl in the house happy, right? Yeah. A little bit of hide and seek and walk nice on a leash. What else do you need? Yeah. You don't need anything else. Uh, so does that dog need heavy obedience training? Uh-uh. No. The lab? Mm-hmm. Obedience training. Mm-hmm. Forever. And in different types of obedience training, right? You may use a leash and collar on the walks. We use the gentle, the um, transitional leash in the house until the dog is accustomed to it and then start using that outside. A dog has to have a rock-solid, calm, long downstay. Calm. Excellent, excellent recall. This is a dog that I would highly likely utilize an e-collar for recall. And more than likely, the trainer training the dog for the hunting is going to utilize an e-collar. Right. As well. I like to try to get the dog through obedience training with me before it goes to the hunt training, so it doesn't necessarily have to be heavy. Yeah. Some can be heavy, some are not. Some are very fair, some can be quite heavy. Um, and depending on the dog, it depends on whether or not the dog can go through that okay. Right? Right. The Shizu, am I going to put that knee collar on that dog? Huh? No. No. <laughs> but the owner wants quick fix training and wants the dog trained in two weeks not to run out the door to walk politely on a leash and do a recall, and it's eight months old. And she is willing to pay me whatever it takes, and I will walk away from that client. Yeah. Or... They can go somewhere else for that type of training that I don't agree with. Or tell her what you will do in two weeks or four weeks. I would. And I would give her options, and it would be her choice. Yeah. But that would not be a dog I would do that with. And I wouldn't do that with any dog. Hurry up. Quickie e-collar training. Right. But the lab, once the dog was mature and understood everything in training, and I knew what the dog's purpose was, yes. Right. Um, the Rottweilers, both of them will go through courses of training. They started with basic obedience, food, 
and prong collar, right? Yeah. Food for the first dog, prong collar for the second dog, right? At a fairly early age. Yeah. Five months. Yeah. And I mean, pressure release, not jerking and popping and all that. Too much pressure and drilling obedience commands and all that. Um, Rottweiler, first Rottweiler, second course of training. Nine months to a year. We did more advanced obedience, long downs, working in crowds, going to places like Home Depot, putting the dog in a downstand, being like practically around the corner while crowds are walking past the dog. Right. Now the dog has a clear understanding of everything, and they, the guy actually likes to go hunting, and he does take her with him. Yeah. She was a little bit noise shy, a little bit, just like she was a little bit insecure. She loves to go on the hunts with him now. Right. And she is not gun shy, and she is not also helping him with the hunting. She is just joining him, meaning she's not going and doing anything for him. Right. Right? Um, so at the point that he started taking her out, that like that, we did recall only with the e-collar. Only recall. Right. But she had a rock-solid understanding of everything before we did that. And the puppy, they asked for the same thing. And my answer to them was, let's see where she is when she's nine months to a year, and we'll make that decision at that point. Right. But she had maybe, obedience Maybe not. They use, they, they use collars and leashes on those dogs when they walk them. The older dog does now wear prong collars. She did not need that when she was puppy. It was too much for her. Now she's 100 pounds. Right. She may even outweigh the wife. Yeah. And well, and the we, kids we walk them too, right? A, a pinch collar on her. Um, that is rarely needed. Yeah. I mean, just barely put any pressure on that dog and she's right with you. Yeah. Right? Well, and the kids walk her too, right? Well, yes. The kids are teenagers and they walk her and they're definitely... Don't weigh as much as she does, right. and they walk them both as a team. Right. right. Um, and I did not put a choke collar on the dog, so we went from a martingale collar, I believe, to a prong when the dog was about nine months. Right. Um, and again, pressure and release, no popping and no jerking with her, ever. Why Remember not? The puppy got it one time, one time, one pop. Why no popping? Because it will freak her out. It's too much pressure. Mm. Just a little bit of pressure and release. Dogs don't pop each other. Popping is like a bite. Yeah. Pressure is like, uh-uh. Right. It's not as, it doesn't mean as much. It's not as forceful. Just a reminder mm-hmm. instead of a, a pummel. <laughs> right. Something. Don't do that. Yeah. Right, and some dogs, if you put pop and release and you have a little bit of defense, the dog's going to redirect a little bit and whip around at the leash, and now what have you done? Yeah. You just taught that dog to be to reactive. redirect on the Well, and just to person. go after what's being over-invasive. Yeah. Where if you use the right amount of pressure, the dog isn't going to do that. So if you start noticing that the dog is giving you body signals and eye contact and everything saying oh my gosh you're like overbearing you need to back off yeah and just apply whatever pressure is needed some dogs need none the shizu remember i'm not even touching it body pressure and if i am i'm touching with one finger Uh uh-uh right and it has to be what i consider somewhat of an offense before that happens right 
Unless my dog's just had a disagreement with something. <laughs> well, um, well, when we were working with Peewoo out in the yard, or uh, what the heck is her name? Peewoo. <laughs> Peewoo. It is Peewoo. Uh, you know, and she was jumping up and stuff, and I think all you did was slow down instead That's of correct her. Well, that dog had been used on a spring pole. That dog had been burned. That dog also, good chance they utilized a rape stand on her when she was bred. Um, Because of everything that happened when they did the, when they they confiscated the dog and there was a dog fighting situation. Right. Um, And so when we first put a leash on the dog, she jumped up and wanted to grab the top as high as she could and she wanted to jerk her neck around and hang on and you know that's a lot of power hanging off of that leash right and um you know so that was her go-to when she felt pressure yeah um but what else did she do when there was no when she did not have a leash in her mouth what was her other thing to do (sighs) flop down on the ground right (laughs) roll around on her back (laughs) Right? Yeah. Flip around and then come flying back up to yeah. grab the leash. Yeah. Yes. With a name like Pee Woo. Bread too much, leaky pee, and woo woo when she gets excited. Yeah. I uh, Pee Woo. But, uh, is not easily adopted. Has been here for over a year because she's going to take the right person to be able to continue her training on walking on a leash. Yeah. I actually just took her to the vet and I took her on a a uh, slip lead. Yeah. Uh, not slip lead. I took her in on a martingale, one of the darlest big fat pink martingale. Right. Zero, zero, zero reaction to the leash. And if you think back about what we used in the yard, what do we use? Uh, chain? It was the wrong thing because we had to come off of it. We thought it was the right tool. So trainers, you can try things and if it's not the right thing, you go back to something else. I don't remember what we used. It is practicing dog training, which means sometimes, and it doesn't mean that you continue practicing the wrong thing. It means that you recognize you're using the wrong tool right away, and you stop and you go to something else. Prong collar was too much pressure. Right. Which is why she did what? Threw herself on her back. Right. And rolled around. La, 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 I'm not doing that, but I'm going to leave a little bit of my scent here at the same time. Well, I think a lot of people would would have been tempted to correct that behavior and what happened when we did we did initially give her a correction for jumping up and trying yeah. to grab the leash i we think she escalated right collar and gave a little bit of pressure and it was the wrong thing yeah all right so we did what slowed way down yeah walked real slow and applied a lot less pressure right and it wasn't a lot of pressure anyway. It was just the pressure of the tool was too much. Right. Hold on. Hey, knock it off! Sorry. I'll edit that out. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, in cases like hers, though, it's helpful to know her past. It, it, it is, and the only reason I got that was because, the, you know, the girl in the shelter was willing to give me her information. Right. You know? Yeah. And she had a big palm print size bald burn on her right above the base of her tail that took a year and a half to heal. Right. 
you can still see a little patch on her back end that's discolored. Yeah. Um, and it was open and raw when we got her. Um, so they poured some kind of chemical on her. We don't know what. Right. That caused that. It was some kind of chemical burn, according to the vet. Mm. Um, God knows, you know? Yep. All right. Anything else? I think that's a lot of... I don't know. Yes. A lot of good information. Now I get to edit it into an article. Okay. (laughs) Have fun with that.